This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. It's been interesting down at City Hall today. Uh, not the usual. What it's what's the word I'm looking for? Not the usual decorum. Let's go with decorum because last night Mayor Fred Eisenberger, apparently after hearing that Councillor Donna Skelly had been talking to conservative leader Doug Ford. She is the MP. She's running to be MPP in the conservative party. Uh, tweeted out this about Councillor Donna Skelly. She is a rookie councillor who does not speak on behalf of the city of Hamilton. Council decided to move forward. Talking about the LRT, of course. Council decided to move forward and she should stop undermining its decision. Doesn't now talking about her. She doesn't much care about Hamilton, just wants to be MPP. This is her third attempt. Ward 7 was just a novelty. Well, that got some people fired up. That got other people backing the mayor entirely and saying he was good for doing this. Uh, earlier in the day, he had tweeted this out because the, the mayor had been tweeting, busy tweeting. Uh, this about Doug Ford's change of tack on the Greenbelt development. Uh, quote, policy on the flyer on the back of a napkin is not helpful. Let's see a comprehensive policy platform from all parties so voters can make informed decisions. We have them from the Liberals, NDP, Greens, and we need one from the Conservatives soon, not after voting day. Well... Is this the way the mayor, is this a venue the mayor should be using to get his point across, to fight for what he believes is right? Or is this something that is unbecoming of the person who wears the chain of office? Brad Clark is a former city councillor. He is a former mayoral candidate. He is a former MPP. He is now principal at Maple Leaf Strategies. He joins me now. Brad, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Now, just so we lay the groundwork here for so everybody knows, because I, I think I know the answer, but I want to be clear. Are you running for anything in this upcoming municipal election? No. Okay, you are not in the fight here at all. There's not a no. dog in the fight in this one right now. No. Okay. So I, I wanted to clarify that first before anyone uh, before we moved along, and someone and, said and that I, there and was. And I a... told I have told the mayor that I'm not running for mayor. I, you know, I've got things to do. <laughs> okay. All right. So you have been on this show before. I think it was we've well, been on a number of times, but we were probably talking a month or two, probably about two months ago, about something that you like to call silly season, which is the launch and the carry-through of election campaign time. Now we have two of them coming up. Uh, is that all this is? Is this just the beginnings of what you like to call silly season? It is double silly season because we have two of them, obviously. Uh, but I think that the mayor's comments were unseemly. He, he generally, Fred's usually a pretty good statesman. Um, but I was quite surprised to read some of his tweets today. It does strike me, and I and I stand to be corrected. Someone can point out where I've missed this, and that's fine. Uh, but it does seem to me rather unique to have a mayor publicly ripping on social media one of his councillors. It is very unusual, um, and the premise of his argument is flawed to begin with. In what way? Well, she never... Once, uh, Donna Scully, that is, Councillor Donna Scully, never once, to my knowledge, ever stated that she was speaking on behalf of counselor. She, uh, on behalf of council, she has always stated that it's her personal opinion, her, it's her position as her position or opinion as a counselor, and she has the same rights and privileges as anyone else on council. So they can continue to advocate for a different position than what council has voted on. Many of them do. Um, so to state that she can't do that um, is is a complete fallacy. The 
okay, even if you read and you read, go back and read this tweet again, uh, she is a rookie counselor who does not speak on behalf of the city of Hamilton. Council decided to move forward and she should stop undermining its decision. Uh, if the tweet ended there, even though you or I or someone else may disagree with the uh, what he says there, that's one thing. It's what comes next that I thought was made it particularly unusual. Uh, the next line, she doesn't care much about Hamilton, just wants to be MPP. This is her third attempt. Ward 7 was just a novelty. To me, that is the part of the line that really surprised me because it became less about politics, it became less about position, and it sounded to me like it became very, very personal. Yes, I would agree. It, it was a personal attack, um, uh, questioning the the counselor's um, credibility, her character, um, citing that she doesn't care about Hamilton. Um, there is absolutely no substance to that at all. Uh, she has demonstrated, as have all the councillors, that they care about Hamilton, they want Hamilton to thrive. They may have different substantive policies in terms of how they would do that, but they're, they're, there's no monopoly on caring for Hamilton. The mayor doesn't have a monopoly just because he's the mayor on caring for Hamilton. All the councillors care for Hamilton, or they wouldn't be councillors. Well, some people would say they just love the salary, but I, I, I tend to take your point. I think if you're going to put yourself in the line of fire, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, you have to have something more than just an interest in, in cashing a paycheck. I have worked with all of these councillors. They um, take their duties very seriously, and, and they all want Hamilton to thrive. They want their, their residents, their constituents to thrive. They want to see that, that uh, success. And so to question that for any counselor, for, for a mayor to question that of a counselor, it's, it's just, uh, I question the propriety of it, and it is unseemly and it's unnecessary. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Let's get ready to rumble! Sometimes they have a prayer to open up council meetings or some other blessing. Maybe this is the new start to council meetings. We can have that. Michael Buffer come in. Ring card girls coming through the state. You know, that this could be this could really make city council meetings a lot more exciting. A lot more exciting. Cable 14 would love this. Brad would Clark joins the vote me. too, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it, it probably would. Brad Clark, uh, principal with Maple Leaf Strategies, former city councilor, former MPP, joins me chatting about this this exchange. Now, I, I do want to say, by the way, that uh, it has been categorized as an exchange or a war of words or something. I went looking today and I have not found any response on social media anyway from Donna Skelly. I don't know if it's a war of words at this point. No, I, I'm not aware of anything um, in social media as a response from Donna Skelly. Um, I think she's trying to take the high road. Um, she's, she has a job to do as the candidate for the PC party in Glamborough uh, and Glenbrook. Um, and so she's just trying to stay above the fray, I guess. Here's the thing, though. I, Which I, I'd be doing if I was in her position. <laughs> well, I, see, I quite like uh, the mayor. I've had good experiences with him. I think he is a... I don't see this as his M.O. I don't... I, I'm very... This it's is what surprises not, me about yeah, this. Absolutely. This is not the usual Fred Eisenberger M.O. that I'm used to, and so that's yep. kind of why I was surprised by this today. I, I, I can only chalk it up to, to perhaps passion and the, the zeal for, for his legacy, the LRT, and that... Um, he has heard from other councillors that they would love the opportunity to 
um, blue sky, if you will, on what other infrastructure they could use uh, the billion dollars for. Um, and, and so I think that's what is prompting this. Uh, but you are absolutely correct, and I have publicly stated that I'm very, very pleased with Fred's performance in, in the last four years. Uh, this is highly unusual for him to get into the mud um, in this manner. Well, it, I, I'll say this for him. Mayor uh, Fred Eisenberger must at times, and he, he may admit this, he may not admit this, but there must be times he's lying in bed at night and he says to himself, okay, I was mayor once before, and the stadium thing was the most divisive issue in the history of Hamilton, and it may have cost me the election. And now we're coming to a re-election, and I get the LRT, which is the most divisive issue in the history of Hamilton. Could I not go through one term of council <laughs> without something that rips the city in half every time? Yeah, he must be feeling some deja vu at the moment. Um, but, you know, whatever happens after the provincial election will happen, and uh, at the end of the day, we should still be respectful and have courteous discourse with our colleagues around the table and with our constituents. I do have to ask, you have been around the city council table. You have been in the city council office. You know what goes on between meetings, after meetings, and interactions with councillors, at least when you were there. About a year ago, Councillor Skelly had, we'll, we'll use the word called out, she had brought to the attention of council publicly that the mayor had was receiving a I think it was $35,000 stipend from a board he was sitting on and said he should be donating that. And I, I, I wonder, do, do bad feelings, do hard feelings, do moments like that carry over? Can something like that linger? Could something like that be the under curtain of this? Um, I'm not sure it would be the, the under curtain of this particular one. Um, but yes, bad feelings do linger with some elected officials. They have long memories. Um, it's pretty rare from my experience to have counselors being vindictive on another issue just because they weren't happy with something that occurred previously. Uh, so I, I, I just chalk it up to the, he, he can see his legacy possibly disappearing if the Tories are elected and he's blaming counselor Scully. So he went after her. All right, which brings us, it's good you bring up the Tories again, because I mentioned off the top, it was not just a tweet to Councillor Skelly that I raised, it was another one that he shot at, at Doug Ford about his green belt changing, of course, flip-flop, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there was something before, a tweet earlier aimed at Doug Ford about the billion dollars. And I'm thinking, okay, the polls are saying the Conservatives right now, if you believe the polls, are likely to form the next government. Is it a wise course to be taking pot shots at the people who could become the next government who you may have to deal with to get anything done in the city of Hamilton? Is that a, is that a good strategy? I have long argued that it is not. It is imprudent, unwise. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen after the election. And we just talked about politicians holding grudges a moment ago. Uh, it is feasible that... Um, uh, a provincial politician could hold a grudge against the mayor or a city because of, of that this type of nonsense. I know the Liberals have been asking for proxies, and uh, there's a number of municipal councillors and mayors who are are coming to the defense of the Liberal Party. Um, but realistically, any municipal politician should keep his nose out of provincial and, and federal politics because you have to go to them for asking for money from time to time. So you just don't want any baggage. Yeah, it, this is this is 
terrific as far as a story and as far as creating drama down at city council and look in the media we we love this stuff oh, this is this is gold uh, I, I as you say though i'm not entirely sure a that this is a, a, the new fred eisenberger that we should probably be wanting to be seeing because i'm not sure that it comes across as statesmanlike or particularly helpful and i'm not sure it's really good for the city to be honest i can recall when i was a minister hearing from other cabinet ministers uh, long memories about municipal politicians who who said something or did something, and then uh, you know they would advocate against funding for that municipality because they weren't um, team players. Uh, so it does happen, Scott, and and it's it's a, a huge miscalculation to think that you can say anything you want as a mayor during a provincial or federal election and not have any repercussions afterwards. We won't hear, we, they'll be hearing more about this. This won't be the last we've heard of this. Uh, Brad Clark, always appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Have a great night, Scott. It's, uh, as I say, I, I expect that probably one of two things is going to happen here. Either this is going to be the end of this, and the mayor is going to say, okay, that's that's enough of that. I'm not going to, it's created too much of a stir. Or this is going to be the new Fred Eisenberger, free speaking, very blunt, and we'll be talking about this a lot more because there will be more things and more pots that are stirred. We will find out. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. If you went to a restaurant tonight and you ordered, I don't know, it would be a cheap restaurant if you were to get the carton of milk, a small carton of milk, a kid's carton, delivered to your table, and you were about to open it and you looked on there and you saw that the best before date was passed, what would you do? Would you go, ah, that's fine, whatever. It's a day or two past. Or would you go, oh, wait a second. Why am I getting served a rotten carton of milk? Those of you who didn't go to a restaurant today, if those of you were at home, some of you, making dinner, and I don't know what you were making, but you reach into the fridge and you pull out a tub of yogurt. Let's say you were using yogurt or cottage cheese or whatever, and you look on the side of it and you see the best before date and or, or chicken or beef or whatever else, and you see that it says, oh, that best before date is gone. What do you think? What's your response to that one? Would you use it? Would you still use it if the best before date was was passed? If it was a day past, would you use it? How about a week? What if it was a month gone past? Well, the discussion came up today because I read a piece and then we got chatting at work and nobody could really figure out what was what those things meant. What's the scientific basis for the best before date? Is there one? Or is there just somebody who randomly goes, okay, uh, February 12th, you know, who knows what, no one knows what this is, but we all follow it. Well, I can tell you someone who does know about this. His name is Dr. Keith Warner. He's a food science professor at the University of Guelph. He's a former chef, as I understand. Uh, He joins me now. Dr. Warner, thanks for doing this tonight. Oh, no, no problem, Scott. We are, as a people, hung up on these dates, are we not? We look at these things and we follow them like sheep. Well, we do, and we don't. Um, certainly some people do. But the, the fact is, is they're there for a reason, because the law says that any sort of product under 90-day shelf life needs to have a best-before date. And so what the producers have to do is basically, as you rightly said, guess the date. Uh, there is a bit of science behind it, but a lot of the time it is literally that saying, uh, I want a 30-day shelf life on this. Okay, we'll put 30 days on the best before date. So it's, uh, but there is a bit of um, science behind it as well. But it sounds like 
not only is it a bit of guesswork, but it's a very broad, when you say best before, that really doesn't suggest that it's suddenly going bad on that day. No, so the way to do this, um, well, some companies, they just literally do guess it. Uh, but uh, the other companies, what they'll do is a worst-case scenario. So they'll say, well, this refrigerator is not 4 degrees C. We're going to put it up to 10 degrees C, or we're going to put it at a higher temperature for a longer time. And so they try to guess what the worst the consumer can do to it. And literally just look at it. There might uh, there are some products which you definitely have to go by the best before day, which I'll get to. But uh, most of the time, it's uh, the worst case scenario. So if you, like said, you put it in the fridge, you treat it as it should be, it will go certainly beyond that best before date. Well, okay, so let's take a carton of milk. I, I buy a carton of milk at the store and I put it in the fridge. The best before date correct me if I'm wrong at any point here, would be a guide because if my fridge is cooler than my neighbor's or if I don't open it for a few days so the, it's not exposed to the elements or if I don't take it out and use it over and again, these are all things that will affect how long that would remain good for, correct? Yes, you're right. So if you got the milk and you kept it cool and you put it straight in the fridge, which was operating right, you know, that milk could go up to 15 days and beyond. But uh, what happens is if you say, put it on the countertop and say, I'll get around to uh, putting it away later. It's that danger zone of the temperature, and if you open it, that's obviously all that sort of bugs going into it to <laughs> ferment it and grow. So um, certainly with milk, once you've opened something, and it goes through a lot of packaging other than milk, uh, that's when the best before date really isn't applicable anymore because with the packaging, it's not only protecting against bugs, but sometimes it's actually stopping bugs growing. And once you've lost that, you've lost control. So it's the, as you say, it's the, it's the worst case scenario best before date that you're getting on your packaging largely. Yeah, largely that's uh, right. Uh, like I say, sometimes we'll just literally guess it to fit what the people want to see. But that's the worst case scenario. That's somebody who's uh, storing at 10 degrees C and you've got very sensitive people sensing it. So the average person like myself whose taste isn't uh, that strong, you know, they probably, um, somebody would say, God, this smells and tastes bad. Where other people would say, no, it's uh, perfectly all right. So, yes, yeah, a judgment call. Now, the, the, the tricky part of the trouble with this, I guess, is that we tend to be law-abiding, rule-following people, by and large. And so when we have a product that tells us, don't eat this after this date, which is how I think we interpret this, we decide that when we see that date pass, that this thing is now garbage. We've got to get rid of it. Yeah, and it's amazing how people go by best before dates. I can give you an example of a, um, an outbreak about two years ago. There was a Greek yogurt, and uh, it basically was molding before the best before date. But people were still eating it because it went, and it must have tasted diabolical if you think about moldy <laughs> yogurt as it is. And about 270 people got ill that way. And you're right, what you also say is that people look at the dates and suddenly don't use the senses. They just say, oh, it must be gone. It must be bad. And, you know, this is what accounts for 29% of all food waste. So it's a fairly significant proportion. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Talking about best before dates on our food. We follow these. We believe these. We trust these. But do we know anything about these and why they are there? Well, Dr. Keith Warner is a food science professor at the University of Guelph. 
Dr. Warder, there was a study, and I'm, I'm sure you've read this, I'm sure you've studied it, it was from Harvard back in 2013, that found how strongly people actually buy into the best before dates. And if you pick up a product that's in your fridge or wherever else, and that best before date is gone, huge numbers of people just immediately throw that thing out. And it leads to massive amounts of food waste. Oh, you're right. Uh, yeah, basically 29% of the food is wasted like that because the best before dates are inaccurate, the worst case scenario. And not only that, but even retailers, um, they have to throw a lot of food out as well because once it's past the best before date, uh, if they sell it, you know, they're going to get fined fairly heavily for that. So a lot of the food waste we, we subject to, as you rightly said, in the Harvard uh, study is wasted uh, in that na- nature. Yeah, and there was another study that's done, and I mean, we take studies for what they are, but that 80% of Ontarians decide whether something is okay based on the best before date. And you mentioned a moment ago, they don't use their senses, they don't dip their finger in and taste it. No, that that seems okay. It just If it says it's done, in their mind, it's done. Yeah, and this is the problem with it. Um, there's only a certain narrow range of foods that you have to really abide by the best before dates. And it's good to tell you those. Cause, Please uh, do. This is my... So if we're looking at vacuum-packed deli meats, or deli meats, for example, uh, cream cakes, things like um, neutral nut milks, and even what's been popular with those sort of uh, dinners you get in boxes sent to you and all that, is vacuum-packed sauces. Now, they will be dangerous if they go beyond the date because they have certain pathogens in them that, well, possibly pathogens in that could make you sick, even kill you, like Clostridium botulinum. But for all these other foods we see, it's all quality issue. Um, so, yes, it, it, with meat, for example, you've got to be a bit careful because it's not just microbial. There's uh, other sort of things like biogenic amines that could uh, affect you. But more or less, as you rightly said, they call it the snatch, uh, scratch and sniff test. Uh, the senses are good for that because even products before the best before date might have gone off depending on their history. So it's always good to use your senses. That's what they evolved for. Now, that said, is it fair to say that there will be people, and I I kind of will put myself into this category, that once you see the best before date is gone, that we will convince ourselves that it tastes bad (laughs) just because that best... And so even though it may taste fine, it's in our head that the best before date is gone, so I'm going to, in my brain, adjust the taste to not be as good. Well, yes and no to that one. Uh, The fact is, uh, food does go bad eventually, and... um that best before date isn't the same when well, it's an optimal date to eat it. No, it's going bad. And really what people uh, put that date on most some of the time is when they can taste the off flavors. Because, for example, meat, you'll, you'll smell it a bit rancid, a bit um, odorish, and that's the time you shouldn't really take it. So psychologically, you are right in that, say for a bag of salad, for example, which has got a 15-day uh, shelf life. It doesn't mean to say it's suddenly going to taste so bad you can't even eat it after uh, 15 days on day 16. Uh, but certainly you've got to be careful of those high-risk products. But all the rest of the things is you know, essentially you know, what... Uh, yeah, it might not taste as good, but it's not going to be dangerous or things like that. Well, and there is one other thing to clarify here. There are there is there are two different things. There's a best before date and there's an expiry date, and those are not the same thing. No, so expiry dates are more to do with uh, nutrient supplements, um, baby food. And what they really are based on is uh, when you've got a nutrient, so the nutrient starts degrading with time. And so it's the minimum 
amount that they can do. So expiry dates are different. Um, in Europe, for example, they go by use-by date, which they're thinking of introducing here, uh, whether that makes things confusing or not. But it was interesting that uh, Walmart, of all people, are coming out with a new label saying it's uh, best, not best before, but uh, the quality is best before this date, you know, putting all the onus on the consumer, whether they should take it or not. But uh, in a lot of ways, as uh, we just said, it's more to do with a quality issue rather than a safety issue. Uh, but those safety ones like vacuum pack sources and deli meats, they're the ones to uh, really be careful of those uh, best before dates. When did this become a thing? Do you know when they started doing this? Yeah, so this was early on in the regulations. Um, I think it was around 1960s when they introduced this because... What, uh, back in those days, it was, safety wasn't really an issue as such because we didn't know much about bugs. But it was to, to stop people selling defective food. So they said every company needs to have a best before date on their product if it's under 90 days. And that's where it originated from. And it's quite interesting in that retailers, because the big retailer, big distribution chains, they would ask for, obviously, longer and longer use-by dates, and companies were literally just saying, how long do you want, and they'll just put it on the label. So it's not an exact science in that respect, apart from certain products, but you are right, it is psychological, and you know, the conspiracy theory says they put these use before the best before dates fairly low, so what you're going to do, throw it out and get some new stuff, isn't it, from the supermarket? We so, all... uh, it's it's all around that, but you know, using your senses, you can't beat that. That's what they're really there for. We only have 10 seconds, but was there, before those came in, was there a string of deaths from this, or did people just use their common sense at that point? Well, back in those days, uh, it spoiled. We, we didn't have the technologies we have now, like modified atmospheric packaging, pasteurize, uh, food pasteurization, things like that, apart from milk. So it was the technology catching up. So if it went bad, you th- knew it and you threw it out. Exactly. Mold was the uh, indicator in those days. Well, you know what? Mold works as well as best before, I guess. Well, that's what uh, nature gave it to us for, I guess. Dr. Keith Warner from University of Guelph, thank you so much for the time today. Appreciate it. No, thank you. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Every week we do something called Ben's Story of the Week. And while he's feeling goofy enough to play old Michael Jackson, maybe it's time to do the Story of the Week. What we do is I find, we, we drum up, he's not heard these before, three stories, unusual, odd, ridiculous, maybe worse, stories from around the world. And he chooses which one is going to be Ben's Story of the Day. You are entitled to also play along, you can send me a note, radley at 900chml.com, if you would like to tell me what would be your story of the day had you had the final say on this. But let us go to story number one. comes to us from Cleveland, Ohio. guy named Marquico Sonny Lewis was released from prison on April 11th after serving 30 months for bank robbery. 30 months, got out of jail, out of prison, 30 months, two and a half years, for serving, for doing a bank robbery. Any guess what he did on his first day out of prison after doing 30 months for a bank robbery? After saying, oh, bio, I'm going to guess that he probably said, or he went out and robbed a bank. He robbed another bank. And, and worse, it's not just that he robbed another bank. He was bad enough at it to get caught a second time. If you're going to do it, at least be good at it. 
And I'm not endorsing robbing banks. I'm just saying, if, you're, if this is the life you've chosen, if this is the career path you have decided to go down, at least become good enough at it that the second time you, you do better than the first time. But no, Markiko, uh, he's back in jail and being held. And I suspect he'll get more than 30 months the second time. That is story number one. Story number two comes to us from Freedon Township, New Jersey where a New Jersey uh, dairy farm has decided it's going to branch into the ice cream making business because why wouldn't you? I mean, milking the cows isn't enough. we got to make the product as well, so they've decided to make ice cream. But they, uh, they're doing something a little bit unique. They're not giving you your standard vanilla or chocolate or strawberry or Rocky Road or whatever else. No, no, no. Uh, the Windy Brow Farms in Freedon Township has introduced New Jersey's first Taylor ham ice cream with the delicious flavor of a pork roll in your after-dinner treat. So it is pork-flavored ice cream, which not only eliminates, I suspect, a number of religious groups from being able to enjoy this, but probably anybody with taste buds at all. That is, um, that is gross. That is number two. There's actual pieces of pork roll in your ice cream, just in case you're wondering. It's not just flavored. This is not just essence of pork. This is actual chunks of pig in your ice cream. That is number two. And number three today for Ben's Story of the Week nominees comes to us from Barton, Vermont, where a 68-year-old guy named Leroy Mason was increasingly frustrated at his smoke alarm that, for whatever reason, wouldn't stop beeping. I don't know if there was a fire in the house. I don't know if he was smoking. I don't know if he was cooking and it went bad. For whatever reason, his smoke detector wouldn't stop. And old Leroy got angrier and angrier with this stupid smoke detector that, you can just imagine. Well, Leroy eventually reached the breaking point, pulled out his shotgun... And tried to eliminate the smoke detector with his shotgun. Unfortunately, uh, while no one was injured, thankfully, he blew a hole in the wall and blew shotgun spray all through his neighbor's apartment, leaving a giant hole in the wall. And um, yeah, so this is uh, so he was the guy who decided that the way to to stop a shrieking fire alarm was to arm himself and. Uh, blow it off the face of the earth. So we have for the story for Ben's story of the week today, we have option number 1, the guy who robbed the bank the day he was released from prison for bank robbery. We have the New Jersey Creamery, the dairy farm that has created pork ice cream with chunks of pork roll in the ice cream for your dining and dancing pleasure, or we have the Vermont man whose smoke alarm died a horrible death when he blew it away with a shotgun, also wiping out part of his neighbor's apartment. Ben, which would be Ben's story of the day today? The Vermont guy without a question. I imagine his his apartment neighbors just hearing, and they go, I wonder what that was. And <laughs> Take just, cover! Boom! And <laughs> well, I would have thought his neighbors probably would have been frustrated by this smoke alarm too, because they would have heard it. But yeah, if you if you did hear the shotgun being cocked, Next to old Leroy, I think I'm hitting the deck or running out of the apartment or something. Especially, I will now, I will now, 
knowing that Leroy is quick with the trigger, any noise that's ex- emerging from that house anywhere. Look out, Leroy's armed! He's not going to like it! What's that? It's his, it's his morning alarm! Look out, hey! It's, uh, yeah, Leroy is not a man that you want living next door to you, but, um, you know, we had others, and I may have to save them for another week. We had so many this week. I had so many opportunities, so many options for Ben's story of the week that I couldn't even get to two or three others that I had stored up. But as I say, we may, we may stick with those next week. Anyway, there you go. Uh, you can find all these stories and many, many more online. All you got to do is type in odd news. It's amazing what you find. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Let us bring in our buddy, Bubba O'Neill. Oh, uh, yeah. From the land of the lost, trans-Canada cross. Patriotic and I honor with my hand on my heart. From the greatest of lakes to the greenest of greens. All right, that's enough warm-up music for Bubba. How are you tonight, sir? Oh, just uh, bathing myself in a sports cornucopia. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm glad that this is radio then. <laughs> no, I'm glad too. <laughs> I, I, uh, I I gave you five seconds of warm-up music. The Toronto Raptors had um, way more warm-up than that, and they still wet the bed. What is wrong? How come the Toronto Raptors can look so good all year, and the minute LeBron James walks into the building, they go, Oh, I forgot everything! They fell apart against him yesterday. They gave him the game. Well, I come mean, on, they did. They gave well, him that I mean, game. Uh, I know, but I got to say this though, right? And here, here's my worry. Um, and I'm glad that you know through. And I, and I know you're, you're gonna, you know, you or others will say that you know what else are they gonna say? I mean, they were clearly disappointed last night. But I thought there was um, some realistic thoughts that were given from you know all the players took the podium today, all the key figures, including the coach. And you know what? I, it, it, they played a great game. Um, they had moments, and unfortunately, they were, you know, in the final, you know, five minutes of the fourth quarter, and then overtime was kind of a saw off. I think you know the Cavs scored one point more and ended up winning a, a one point game. They did so many good things, and for whatever reason, basketball is a game of runs. They went ice cold. I believe if they duplicate and do many of the things that they did, I mean, look at Jonas Valanciunas. That's the first 20-20, rebound game that's happened in years in the NBA in the postseason. And, of course, it's a franchise best for them. So they got to just continue. There's no possible way they could go that ice cold again. That was a game that was winnable. They'd hit so many. They shot 62% in the first quarter, and somehow – it just didn't happen for them in the, in the late stages of the fourth. I believe if they play the same way they did, you know, with the exception of all those missed shots, which will never happen again, they'll win a game. Well, oh, they'll win. They'll, I'm sure they're going to win a game. They may win more than they may win the series. But I, what really just struck me is that you've got. You mentioned Valanchunas in the fourth quarter in the last couple of minutes. He probably had five or six layup opportunities from six inches away. No, he missed seven straight shots. And it was wait a second. You're seven feet tall, and by the time you jump, like, can this guy not dunk? Jump up there and 
dunk. Don't try and do the ticky-tack layup, bounce it off the backboard stuff. Go up there like a beast and dunk the thing, and then there's no risk. I just, well, I, it, you, it just it struck me out of this thing. You're totally right with that. But Jonas Valanciunas has always been, you know, a finesse kind of guy. I mean, his shooting is is amongst one of the best in Major League, in, sorry, Major League Baseball, in the NBA. <laughs> it's really good in Major League Baseball. <laughs> you know, his field goal percentage is right up there and exceeds many of, of the best centers in uh, in the league right now. And the game, and remember too, the game has sort of changed in those classic big style centers that, you know, just throw down like a Alishak O'Neal. They're just not out there anymore. The game has changed. You've got to be able to shoot, and he, he can do those kind of things. And you're right, though. He has to show a level of, of, of uh, not that he's not intense, but uh, maybe the, an edge of meanness of, of grabbing the rebound and not just tipping it in, but you're right, slamming it home, making well, I, sure of it. When you've missed five or six or seven shots in a row at that point, at that point, you just say, forget this. I'm just... You're seven feet tall with arms that are about as long as a 747's wingspan. Just, yep. and, and again, it sounds and, easy. And no Cleveland player that matches him size-wise no, either. No, I, I just looked at that and I thought this looked like a game that they panicked in. And they played, you're right, they played so well at the beginning, but it was like they knew when Cleveland got close, it was like they knew that LeBron James was going to do something and they could do nothing about it. I'm not even sure that LeBron James needed any teammates on the floor last night. Well, you that's know, another that's thing because no, that see, guy that's... never passes the ball. He's a great player. He doesn't have to, but he never passes. Now, see, that's where I disagree with you because that's what made that win so good for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And if you're a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, you're bragging about that. LeBron had a lousy night last night. He had a lousy, you know, his stat line of. 26 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists, a triple-double. Yeah, you look at that, but remember, he was 12 of 30 from the floor. And he said it. I had a lousy game. But, but compared to what you've seen in the past, especially in the Indiana series where he averaged 23 points more in a seven-game series, more than all of his teammates, this time his teammates came to play. And that was the big difference. Uh, J.R. Smith, 20 points. Kyle Korver, 19 points. Uh, Tristan Thompson, the Canadian, 16 points. Green, 16 points. He had a bad game, and when he had the bad game for the one of the first times all season, his team picked him up. And to me, that was a huge difference and why the Raptors didn't escape with a win. I will say this. I will say that I have been slow to join the LeBron James coronation. I know he's called the king, but nonetheless, I have always argued that I would put Michael Jordan ahead of him. I would put Magic Johnson ahead of him. I would put Wilt Chamberlain ahead of him. I would. I. I've always said that well, LeBron James is certainly in the top ten of all time, but I would not have put him up much higher than ten. Uh, the way he basically won the last series by himself against Indiana, and yep. when you watch him now, he is. He, he's got to be in the top five now, even in my. Slow to jump on that bandwagon thing. He, he's he's up in the top five all time. It's the first time I actually said it on air last night. And you know, and you know, you and I are of an ilk and of an age group that we were we benefited and we were fortunate to see the entire career of my, one Michael Jordan. And I am now putting LeBron in the top three. He. With he, who? With who? Michael and who else? Well, I, I'm going to put my, MJ first still. Uh, I didn't see Cham- Chamberlain play a different type of game, uh, and I and for his position, Magic Johnson can be right there. 
but I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, deserves some respect mm. for the, the amount right. of points right. that, that he that he scored and and what he did in his career and championships and all that. So I, I would put him that uh, to me. That's the top three right there. LeBron does everything. And the only difference in why I continue to give Michael Jordan the nod over LeBron James is that def- LeBron's going to tie or equal. I mean, when, it, when it's all said and done, he's going he's to bypass a lot of Jordan's offensive records. But here's the thing that still gives the nod of MJ to me over, over uh, LBJ, is that defensively, LeBron James is more of a floater. The way they have it schemed out, he's more of a rover and can go to the ball wherever he wants. Michael Jordan matched up against the best player of every team in his playing days, and that's what made him so nasty. So when you were, and I think he's got six Defensive Player of the Year awards, he, as amazing as he was an outstanding offensive player, people forget how good he was defensively. So when they were playing the Boston Celtics, it was him and Jordan, him and and Bird. When it was, you know, anyone from the Sixers, it could have been Iverson. So he always matched up on that best player, and that's the only difference I think so far in the careers that separates Jordan from uh, LeBron James at this point. There were a couple people who tuned in a moment ago, and you were comparing Michael Jordan to LBJ, and they're thinking, "Wait a sec! I didn't even know that president was a good basketball player." <laughs> um, I, see, I would, I still, in an all-time, all-era, all-world draft, Magic Johnson is still number one because he could do so many different things on the court and be, play every single role. I still put him ahead of Michael Jordan. I know that's not the popular opinion. We're supposed to say Michael Jordan is the greatest ever. I have Magic Johnson first, but Michael Jordan would be there, and Wilt Chamberlain, because he was so... When you look simply at the numbers and, and the people he was playing against, he was so overwhelmingly dominant that it was he averaged 50 points for a season. I mean, there's no one who's even come close to that. And, and, and we don't have time to talk about this right now, but Kobe Bryant is not in the top 50. Anyway, let us move along. Oh, you too. That, 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 <laughs> that, that, that was bad. I, I thought I'd better say that quickly and then move along before your head popped off. Because I do have something else I want to get to. Yeah, you we'll, better move along. We'll talk about the Kobe Bryant and Derek Jeter stories one day down the road. Oh, God, don't get me going. The all-overrated team. All right, we'll get to that another day. Here is the other thing I wanted to ask you about. There was today, going to the world of hockey for a moment. There were, the IIHF, the International Ice Hockey Federation, suspended five Swedish junior players. Now, people will remember the Swedish team played against Canada in the World Juniors around Christmas time, and they'll probably remember that after Sweden lost, and it was a heartbreaking loss for them, heartfelt, and a bunch of the guys, when they got the silver medals put around their neck, took them off, and one of them actually threw it into the stands. And the IIHF has said, we are suspending you from future international play, not just for throwing it into the stands. That guy got suspended too, but simply for taking your medal off your neck. I would, I, this is way over the top. You are entitled to remove the medal from around your neck if you want. You, they can't, they can't, well, they can, but they shouldn't be suspending you for being upset, disappointed, angry, frustrated, whatever else. The guy who chucked it in the stands, all right, I, I can live with, you know, that being, you can argue that as a fan safety thing. Someone could have lost an eye by a silver medal, but come on, you can't suspend a guy for taking his medal off. Well, this is just another reason to, to say why the, the International Ice Hockey Federation are a bunch of poofs. Like that is that is such an overplay, and I know that they would like to avoid situations. You know that happened. 
uh, I think they also forget it's the World Junior Hockey Championship. These are children, many cases 16, 17 years old, and one guy acted out of emotion. Would he regret that? Maybe, maybe not. That's not for us to say. And to go that far uh, to, you know what, to, to say, look, I don't... Uh, uh, I, I don't want our uh, medal ceremony to be, you know, uh, disrespected. A uh, uh, talking to was all that was necessary there too. And remember too, when he the kid tossed the, it wasn't out of anger. The guy was in tears. He was sad. I mean, yeah, he didn't take an overhand pitch and hurl it yeah. into there with a fastball. Look, there is. What's interesting about this is that the OHL, we've we've been talking about how the Bulldogs are playing Game 1 of the Finals tomorrow. Well, in the semifinals, so there was the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference, the the conference the Bulldogs were in, they won the Bobby Orr Trophy as Mm -hmm. the conference champions. The Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds won the Wayne Gretzky Trophy. We know that hockey players don't like to touch trophies until the championship won because it's bad luck and bad juju and all that kind of stuff. The league spoke to them, to the two captains, or the four captains, I guess, but the, the four eligible captains said, look, if this trophy, if your team wins, there will be, you will be called to center ice, there will be a photo, and you will hold the trophy. You don't have to skate around with it, you don't have to hand it to the rest of your team, but right. for the photo, you yeah. will receive the trophy, you will hold the trophy, you will take a picture, and then if you want, you can put it down. Both teams then did it, yep. right? But all it took was for them to say, these are the rules. These are how we do things. You could have done the, as you said, you could have done the exact same thing with silver medals before the game, have someone simply walk in or the night before so you're not interrupting their pregame and say, listen, guys, one of you is going to win gold, one of you is going to win silver. If you get silver, you are not permitted to take it off your neck. And that would have resolved the problem. Yeah, you know, and it's funny sometimes, I actually thought about this, you know, how painful must that be? And I know there's an element of sportsmanship, but how painful must that be that after you have played a, you know, a two-week tournament, you're in the final, this isn't a club camp championship, this is a, you know, one for your country, and that you've got to kind of just sit there and watch the team celebrate you know, right in front of you while they're handing out the medals. Like... I don't know. I, I'm. I look. I'm with you. I am. I am entirely. Uh, I would like to believe that I would have the maturity to be sportsmanshipful enough to say I'll leave the medal on. But you have poured your heart into soul, heart and your soul into this. And if you remove the medal in a moment of frustration, again, chucking it into the crowd is something, and and we can have that discussion. But just taking it off to me is not. And we we went through this with the 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 woman on the Canadian team That's at right. the Olympics, That's right. That's and right. people lost their minds about that. And I thought again, it, it's your medal, and you didn't chuck it at someone. You didn't smash no. it on the ice and take a slap shot with it, or or try and beat someone over the head with it. You no. simply removed it. You, why not? I mean, there was such an overplay, and and again, just such an overreaction. I should say, sorry, you know, in that whole situation. I remember, you know, and then of course now that we have social media and everyone's got a voice and. Sometimes people that, you know what, I could probably get in trouble for saying this, some people that shouldn't have an opinion, you know, go off and criticize people, you know, from their computer, faceless people. That girl was castigated, you know. Oh, yeah. 
how un-Canadian. You know, you, you know, I think she was from Quebec, and they were, of course, and there was a Quebec angle, and people, I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm. look, these kids, the, the IIHF should retract this and say, look, we've told them now they're not going to do it again. That's good enough. That that that's more than sufficient. And then the IHF can say, "Look, we told them. We've we've gone over this. It's not going to happen again." All right, we got one minute left, and I wanted to get to this really fast. I wanted to get to it before, but uh, Marcus Stroman, Blue Jays pitcher. We're getting mm-hmm. to the Blue Jays for a second. O and four this year, lost again today. Yeah, not pitching well, not winning games, giving up homers all over the place. Um, is it time? to send Marcus Stroman to the minors for a little while to get sorted out, even though you know that would make him go completely cuckoo. Would it, would, is it time? No, because I think today he showed, he showed where, you know, that he was coming around. Um, I believe only allowed five or six hits, went seven innings, which is the last season high for him, um, and gave up two runs. And the way the Blue Jays are built, uh, a two, uh, two runs allowed um, in his situation after going seven innings, he deserved some run support. Because uh, you know, I mean the Jays are definitely an offensive-minded team, so uh, surprised to see him get off to the start that he had. I mean, you know, he did some has a shoulder issue, shoulder inflammation during spring training. I don't know if he's still getting over that. He's one of those guys that definitely I could see you know wanting to pitch through pain if he is banged up at all. But uh, I thought his performance today was good enough for a victory, and uh, he might have saved himself right there. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH, uh, catch him tonight at 11 o'clock. He'll be doing sports, he'll be doing weather, maybe even some soft shoe and some lounge singing between commercial breaks if you really hold your breath and if CHCH doesn't switch, flick the switch and send it away to the commercial. Who knows? Who knows what you might see? In this business, you just never know. You never know. <laughs> I, I, I live for the day when we see that, when you are actually going... Did you ever watch Cheers? When Sam, when Sam Malone became a TV new a sports guy, yeah, and the one yeah. time he decided he was going to rap the sports, and he went to the gro- 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 groin injury. Well, I'm waiting for the day you will either rap or sing the sports cast. I will pay money for you to do that one time. Let me know. Let us know ahead of time so we can all tune in. We all do anyway. But I do like to sing. Uh, ben wants you to do it too, so we're gonna we're gonna build up a, <laughs> a, a, a an amount of people, a groundswell here, a a, a a big movement of people asking Bubba to sing the sports cast one night. We'll do that in the summertime. Always appreciate the time, sir. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. I I really would like to see that. I really I I would pay money for that. I I think we should try and get a grassroots movement going, asking Bubba to sing the sports one night. I'll, you know, I'll chip in 10 or 15 bucks. I don't know. I haven't heard him sing. I don't know if it's worth more than that at this point. I should have asked him to give us a little sample. But that would be great. A whole, remember, there was a, a show, the guy who, oh, what's his name now? He just passed away, who did Hill Street Blues and NYPD, uh, Bochco, Stephen Bochco, one of the great TV producers of all time. You will recall that he, despite his wild successes in TV, also had one Kind of a miss. A little show called Cop Rock, which was a cop show where they all sang. Maybe CHCH should have a night where they just, everybody sings the news. I'm telling you, we may be onto something here. We may be stumbling onto a genius idea. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.